Um, okay, so hi everyone. Um, this is Tabitha Swanson, uh, and this is the podcast Seek Find. Um, essentially a podcast about people who are seeking things and finding them in both expected and unexpected ways. Um, this kind of goes between not only creative seeking, but also things around like um, social change um, and self-development, uh, career development, etc. Um, but yeah, today I am very, very thrilled to have Daddy here. Um, and Daddy uh, is run by Kemi Futoba and Joe Van Hutch. And uh, it's both like a magazine and also a creative media company. Um, welcome. Thank you so much for being here um, and for being my my first guests. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear a bit more about both of you, um, about Daddy, how it came to be. Um, yeah, and your involvement today and, and where it's going. Thanks so much for having us, Tabitha. It's really a pleasure to be on the first episode of your podcast. <laughs> um, okay, do you want me? Do you want me to start um, with how Daddy yeah, came about? Go for it. Yeah. Um, so I often say that Daddy was born out of frustration um, because when I arrived in Berlin five years ago, um, I worked for this creative agency and. There was a lot of casual racism, homophobia, and sexism going on, which was quite unexpected because I always thought that Berlin would be like this safe haven, you know, this progressive bubble. And then it turns out that um, this is only partially true. Um, so back then, yeah, the co-founders and I, like, we talked about these things a lot, and then we were just like, okay, rather than complaining, why don't we change it? Why don't we like, start our own publication and address all these topics that bother us? Because we felt that um, there weren't enough publications out there, at least not in Germany, that did that in a way that was accessible. And then we've been doing that, I think, maybe for a year, a year and a half, something like that. And then I met Joe um, at a Hanover party of a mutual friend of ours. And we started talking about what we want to do, um, the things, things that really move us. And then it turns out that both of us had, like, Lots of shared interests, and that's how Joe joined. But maybe, do you want to tell the story, Joe? Yeah, no, yeah, and I just, uh, I love the fact that, yes, we did meet at a Hanukkah party in Berlin. So, you know, intersectionality through the core, um, multiple different identities of the people we know and um, the things we care about. Uh, re re so, what I, the way I remember it happening is, uh, you know, you're kind of like making that kind of small talk at a party, and Kimmy asked me what I do, and I said, oh, I'm a writer. You know, oh, what do you write about? I write about race and identity. And then I neglected to follow up with the, and what do you do question. Um, and then Kimmy kind of helpfully added, you know, in case you wanted to ask me what I do, I run a magazine where we talk about race and identity. So I was kind of like, oh, okay, note to self, always inquire. Um, and so that was really important because when I said I was a writer, I was really kind of blustering at the time. Um, the reality was I had moved to Berlin to be a writer, but had not yet published any of my own um, writing in that regard. Uh, so it was really, you know, a heaven sin to meet Kimmy um, at that time at that place, because then I was able to get my first uh, publication with online daddy magazine. Um, and that was, yeah, I guess 2018. And so for the past going on now, yeah, three years. It's just been getting more and more involved in terms of uh, moving to events with featured speakers, 
And then I guess uh, the way Daddy grew up into publishing was uh, Kimmy had a dream. Um, and we figured out what did we need to do to get from start to finish where our readers could hold a physical copy of Daddy magazine in their hands. Yeah, definitely. It it has been quite the journey. Um, yeah, I remember, well, I was working with Daddy a bit um, some years ago and seeing it, yeah, go from completely online to having those touch points of in-person events um, and also to having the the event uh, with Monroe Bergdorf and, and uh, you know, other speakers there um, has been very cool. And then the first printed copy coming out. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, exciting. And I'm excited to, to have one of those physical copies sometime soon. Very um, soon, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I have to say, it was such a pleasure to work with you too um, yeah. and to have you as part of our team. So yeah. this is a really nice full circle moment. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah, and I mean, uh, my Berlin experience wouldn't be the same without um, Daddy being there, definitely. Um, yeah, so maybe uh, tell us a bit, a little bit about um, Daddy moving from a magazine and, and publication and stuff like that to where it's going now as also being um, a media company as well and consultancy. I think for us it was really about, um, so at the beginning of last year, um, I just kept thinking that, you know, we were celebrating four years of daddy, um, well, four years of daddy was coming up, and I just thought that, you know, we've been doing this for a while now, and we were incredibly lucky to have like this, you know, it's very loyal following and a pool of volunteers who were willing to work for us without, you know, without compensation. But we also thought after all this time, you know, we really need to change something and we really need to um, start paying people because otherwise we are just a part of the problem, you know, because something that happens to me all the time is that we are, you are asked to do something for exposure or for a little bit of money. And it's something that, it's something that we've been complaining about and that, you know, that we've been addressing. So we really felt like even though, Yes, we didn't. Uh, we aren't an established media company. Like we haven't been around for that long, um, and we don't necessarily have the resources. We should still set an example, and we should show others how to do better. So that was kind of the, um, you know, that was the idea. And then after that, everything else happened. So we were like, okay, well, how can we do it? You know, like, and what do we want to do? And one thing that we wanted to do was uh, launch a print magazine. But, you know, since everyone says print is dead and print is expensive, you know, I'm like, hey, like, it's just, it's a huge gamble, but let's just try it. And luckily, Joe was up for it. Um, and, like, th there were moments where we were like, oh, my God, what are we doing? Like, is this going to work or is it going to fail ethically? Mm -hmm. But we were just committed to doing it and we were committed to paying people without even knowing um, that we would get money back, you know, like we were ready to make a huge yeah. loss. Um, and then, luckily, our followers were super supportive um and yeah like it all turned out like a lot better than expected and i think it just goes to show that if you if you're really passionate about what you're doing and if you if you found the right niche and if you manage to build a loyal following then pretty much everything is possible because yes like print publications a lot of print, like 
communications are closing down. But I think if it's more focused, if it's more niche, then you actually still have a chance and people are willing to support you. And then I think the, the company was a logical, was the logical next step. Um, and I have to say that um, I was, I wouldn't have been able to start the company without Joe. Like he was really, like he was the driving force behind it because if you know what German bureaucracy is like, it just, it just feels like you're jumping through like burning hoops, you know, like plenty of yeah. them. And Joe was like, no, we can do this. We can, you know, send another letter. Let's try it again. Let's try again and again and again. Yeah. So, yeah, like thanks to Joe, we managed to start the company, launch it mm-hmm. and become legit. Um, I don't know, Joe, do you want to talk about that experience and how it was? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, thank thanks you to so your much. lawyer brain, we could actually do it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so I, I always would be with things. So, um, from a kind of a, a comedy background, there's this concept of yes and, where you don't say no to things, you know, you say yes and. So Kimmy came, uh, to her credit, right before, but it was during the economic meltdown of like the first lockdown. And Kimmy's like, how about we do this thing? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and how are we supposed to do it? No, but um, it was really, um, the, the, I guess, yeah, the, the most challenging thing for us was like logistics. Once we had the company up and running, we had no shortage of people who, uh, we wanted to work with, who wanted to work with us. We were very clear about, you know, what we could pay contributors from our limited means. Um, and so I think, you know, it's, it's not just about being passionate about something, but it's about doing it for the sake of doing it with no idea of it has to be this or this has to succeed just this is something we want to do. And so we're going to do it for the pure sake of doing it. And we just let the chips fall where they go, right? So we go, you know, we know these are the people we want to work with. We know these are the topics we want to discuss. We know this is the next step we want to take. So we're just going to do it and we're going to try it and we're going to see what happens. And that's that. But yes, but to get to that step, the logistical process, um, I think Kimmy and I have both founded companies in other countries. So I come from the States. Um, I founded a company in uh, New York. I was able to do this. Um, I have to say, admittedly, it was, an, it was a few hours. It was a few hours because I did have to physically go someplace to pay something. So I physically traveled to the capital of New York on the train to pay mm-hmm. something. And I walked out and mm-hmm. had my company registered. Um, yeah. That was not the case here. Registering <laughs> a German company. Yeah. Took, not days, not weeks. It took months it took months to do and then it was also this problem where we couldn't sign contracts yet with the people we wanted to work with until not just we had the company registered but we had a bank account for the company which also took a few weeks to get like i remember panic phone calls so it was just like everything from they probably like mailed you mailed you (laughs) yeah yeah so Oh, I was just saying, and they they probably like mailed you the bank letters. Sorry, I think there's a bit of a delay. (laughs) um, I think I'm going to turn off the video if that's okay. Yeah, chill. Yeah. Um, So I might do the same. Um, Perfect. So... Yeah, so uh, I think if I can just jump back in, yeah. So they were, they weren't. I mean, they it, 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 they couldn't even mail us anything yet because we didn't have the registered business address. That took forever. Mm-hmm. So um, 
Germany pretending to want to get to this place where they are, you know, this place where creative entrepreneurs can move, have a lot to learn from other places first about how they can actually make that happen. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, similar to you, like I, I registered a business in Canada before and I did it online and it took like, like 20 minutes maybe in total. Um, yeah. So I, I can't even imagine like registering a build business here, maybe even from just doing like personal tax stuff and like personal, um, banking stuff, which is supposed to be the simple, the simple option of the two. Um, yeah, I think, um, Maybe two two things that I'd love to get your kind of feedback on or or your insights on um, with the the asking and the and the just doing to do things. Um, yeah, having like a flexible mindset and a flexible kind of idea of of the shape something can take, but then also what you mentioned about like asking for it, like asking people to support, um, which I think is something that's so powerful, but sometimes um, we're not always encouraged to do or not always um, taught to do where we don't have the language to do it. Um, And I think that that's really cool that you folks are able to do that um, as well as like, yeah, inspirational for other people as well who are also starting initiatives and starting things that are, are important to them. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear maybe about your experience of asking. Not not only with daddy, but in general. I mean, I have to say I find it I always find it quite hard to ask people for things. Um mm. like it's okay when it's okay when you ask friends, but even when I ask friends I always feel like okay I'm asking you for a favor, so I'm gonna return the favor in some shape or form. And it's the same with daddy. Like um it was like I really, really appreciate how people showed up for us and how, you know, everyone was just okay with um joining daddy on a voluntary basis. But um yeah, I just I felt incredibly guilty because like we all of us are all of us are freelancers. Like I think pretty much all of us. Um and we all know what it's like. We all know what it's like to be underpaid and undervalued. Um and of course, it's important to center voices that are underrepresented in traditional media. But then if you center these voices and if you can't pay people, then that just feels wrong. So I'm really glad that we moved away from this uh, and that we forced ourselves to rethink our business model. Um, and it actually works, you know, like, yeah, you have to make some some compromises. Um, but as soon as you set a budget, then you really have to think hard about what you can do and what you can't do. And you start to be a lot more realistic about the things you're doing because at first you know it was just like okay let's do this let's do that this will be fun and now it's a lot more like okay this is the budget this is what we can do and other things will have to wait or we have to raise the funds somehow you know apply for grants whatever and then hope for the best so i think now it's a lot more um yeah i guess more professional than it was at the beginning at the beginning it was more about having fun um and like it was at the beginning, we were also a lot more playful. So I don't know if you remember this, Tabitha, but like, a, a, like when we when we started, we were um, like the fact that we talk about like serious topics and add humor and sarcasm was super important to us. And now, like we still, it's not that we've become super serious, but I feel like the tone has changed a little bit. 
you know, like the beginning, the beginning I think was a lot more playful. And now we still have pieces that have like lots of sarcasm in there, but it's not so much about that anymore. Um, yeah, I guess we've grown up a little bit. Mm. <laughs> and um, another um, component in terms of the business model where we benefited uh, of, you know, founding our company uh, most recently, especially in light of uh, the economic recession that happened, is uh, Daddy is not reliant on advertising. And this is something that has always been very important to Daddy. Um, you know, when you go to the website, we want you to have an immersive user experience that is not being distracting or forcing you to, uh, you know, go buy something that you don't need or want. Um, and, you know, that that is a decision that costs money because as much as the website grows, we don't want to have advertising on the website because we couldn't necessarily control the kinds of brands um, that are reaching people. And so, but I think, and the, although that may seem to be a weakness, um, the strength for us is when is, when do uh, other print magazines and newspapers fold? They fold when they no longer bring in enough advertising revenue. So, you know, the fact that we weren't dependent on that advertising revenue ever allowed us to really find new ways where we say, you know, we're going to, we're not going to charge for the website, but would people pay for the print magazine? And that's where I think, you know, this, asking our readers or supporters who could see that daddy had been doing this for a number of years and daddy was trying to grow and stay sustainable. I think people were able to see that and appreciate it um, and really come out to help us make it um, actually viable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, maybe as kind of a follow-up question for that, um, what about asking for social change? Because I think that that's like a huge... It's like the the basis of of maybe why daddy exists as well um and maybe approaches to that of um maybe the humor is like a, a lubrication in some ways to to have certain things resonate in different ways with people or even to process different like things that people have gone through when when writers are writing it um yeah, I'd be curious about the concept of asking, but in terms of like making social change and like making change, um, yeah, to the industry as a whole, as you've as you've mentioned. Um, even and even to like topics of race, of like sexuality and stuff like that, and it can be abstract as well. Um, yeah, I think I think that humor can definitely be like. Um, a gateway to um, to all these topics, and like Joe does stand up comedy, and like I, all my writing, like especially in the, in the early days, was quite um, always had like a um, an undertone of sarcasm because I feel like especially when you tackle really difficult topics, then humor can make it accessible, you know. Because sometimes it's like sometimes things are so depressing that you, you, you just you know you crack a joke about it and then you can deal with it because you just need to like, mm -hmm. lose some of this, um, of the heaviness and some of this weight. Um, so I think, yeah, for us, that was definitely like super important at the beginning. Uh, we had lots of shorter pieces, you know, where we just like, um, we just took the piss out of certain situations, you know, and like stereotypes. And then later on, we really delved more into it. And that's where we had like long form pieces, um, think pieces, where people, you know, didn't necessarily want to approach it with humor. And that's also okay because some topics are so serious, you know, like you can't like 
there's yeah. nothing there's nothing to laugh about um but yeah i think i think it's good i think it's still good to have to have some kind of balance and what we always try to achieve with daddy is that we um we don't necessarily want to educate um white people mm. you know we don't center whiteness um or like let's say like a white heteronormative audience because like a, a lot of our com contributors are white uh but then they're you know queer or they're part of some other marginalized group um but we don't center the white gaze you know or the heteronormative gaze that was always important to us like we don't we don't feel like Uh, we need to explain ourselves. So we just take certain things for granted, uh, which other publications might explain, you know, because like, you know, we have to, we have to explain the black experience, we have to explain the queer experience. And we're just like, no, like there's so much information out there already. Look it up. Yeah. Like we're starting at a completely different point. This isn't like, you know, 101 on race or 101 on queerness. Like we've, mm -hmm. we're a few steps ahead and you can look it up and you can join us, you know, at this, on this level. But um, we can't speak to everyone, and that's also okay. Mm -hmm. So I think that's kind of our, that's how we want to change things, you know. Not just, mm -hmm. let's, let's not just start from zero all the time. Let's, let's go a few steps further ahead. Definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a saying in, in certain, like, teams in, in UX, which is what I was working in before, saying, like, if something caters to everyone that it actually caters to no one which i think is pretty true um do you think that there's a degree of like um without going with while skipping the step of having to explain like the 101 basics of you know uh the black experience or the queer experience and stuff like that do you think that that actually increases normalization of these experiences because it doesn't have to go through this um yeah kind of basic steps of of explaining it from a baseline level and it just accepts it as like a normal um quote-unquote like normal um experience can can i jump I in on this one since that, yeah, yeah, sure. that's a twofer for me so to speak mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the black experience and the queer experience i think yeah so i mm -hmm. definitely reached the point um where I think when I was younger, I wanted to explain and persuade, right? So maybe explain to those around me what's going on and persuade them to change their minds or their opinions about groups or events. And then um, when I got to Germany, I realized that was a fool's errand because I was never going to persuade people, right? We're post-truth, we're post-fact. Um, so if yeah. I spend my life trying to persuade those around me, um, I'm just mm -hmm. going to waste my time um so then i switched and i pivoted to okay well instead of trying to persuade these other people who are very happy denying my humanity why don't yeah. i speak to and for my communities to empower them right so and uh, it, it starts with empowering myself if i share my story then it doesn't control me anymore it doesn't own me anymore right i'm not limited by it because i am choosing how to share my story. I'm choosing um, what things to destigmatize. I'm choosing, you know, maybe to laugh at something or cry at something. But what I'm mostly trying, choosing to do is bond with other people who may have had shared experiences. And I think mm -hmm. that's the most powerful thing for me, that when someone can read something and they connect with it because it's something that they may have experienced too or thought of too, but couldn't articulate until that moment. 
and then it empowers them to go forward and speaking, right? So it's kind of a, an effect that builds and grows over time. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that is a, a revolutionary act, so to speak, because we're at a time and place, um, you know, it's not that there haven't been Black-owned magazines before. Um, I'm reading a lot about how, um, I think it was called like the Freedom Freedom Light, or I'm going to get the name wrong now, but, uh, you know, there were prominent Black-owned newspapers, abolitionist newspapers in the United States. Uh, but as far as I can tell, we may be the only Black-owned magazine um, in Germany at this point in time. I hope in all not. of Germany. Uh, I'm not sure about no? <laughs> all of Germany. I mean, I mean, maybe I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't doubt it. But um. I know. I know that there's um there's a magazine and I think they're based in Munich and it's about it's called Girls with Curls. It's about um black women and their hair. Um and then there's also Rosa Mac and I think there are other like online uh, publications, mm. but we're definitely a minority. Um, <laughs> and I don't know how, the, how long the others have been around for because Daddy has been around for five years and the others, I think, um, aren't, uh, haven't been around for that long. Mm. Yeah. But I think for me, um, I, I guess the feeling that I wanted to recreate with Daddy is, um, the feeling that you get when you, you know, when you enter a space and there's a discussion and people talk about something that, you haven't, you've never heard of before. Everything's completely new to you. And it's like, you know, and you're like, oh, what are these people talking about? Like I heard about this or that, but you know, but like on the whole, I, I don't really, you know, I would have to look up some things in order to be able to follow the conversation. And you just end up being like, okay, they've got so much input and now I need to find out what to do with this input. And that is something that I would love to recreate with daddy, you know, because if, if everything's super obvious, then I don't know, then I think it's kind of boring. But if we inspire you to to dig a little deeper and, you know, to find out more about this subculture or mm -hmm. subgenre, whatever, then then I think then we did our job right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that kind of philosophy can be applied to many things of just people when people maybe are kind of pointed in a direction and then they go the extra mile to find things themselves they maybe there's like a sense of accomplishment or a sense of like discovery a sense of like that they're part of this learning experience that i think can really resonate with people in a, right? in a very cool way so it's yeah it's cool that you have that in mind it's like when you go to a, to a record store you know like in the old days when that was possible <laughs> yeah. and when record stores were more of a thing um yeah. and you just you know you see something you see it like you see a record with a beautiful cover and then you, you, you know, you take it out of the sleeve, you listen to it and then you're like, Oh my God, I just discovered a gem, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, that's the kind of feeling I like. If everything's too obvious and too accessible and like everyone just, you know, if there, if there's nothing to discover, then I think it's a bit boring. Mm. Yeah. There's definitely an, an allure to mystery or to things partially out of sight, perhaps. Um, yeah, maybe um, another thing I wanted to comment on uh, that you'd mentioned before is that you both made like the very conscious choice to um, pay everyone who was working for you, which I think is quite brave and, and bold, especially during Corona time when you could have said, hey, like where it's Corona, you know, the economy is going through this and this. Um, we 
you know, can't, can't do this right now. Um, so I think it is really setting a standard for that. And I think as well, like with, um, kind of the cracks being exposed even more within kind of just wealth disparity and the struggle that so many people, especially like freelancers and contract workers have with like, um, sustainable and like long-term income generation and just like the ways that people are being taken advantage by companies especially like unfortunately like large companies uh particularly in like the media sphere um yeah i i think that's cool this is kind of just what i wanted to say <laughs> thank you i mean it was it was a huge gamble because neither yeah. joe nor i come from generational wealth you yeah. know so we were like there were moments <laughs> many moments like for me at least when I, when I was like oh my god will I just will I just go bankrupt like is, is this going to be it um yeah I'm glad we did it but I think there were definitely moments when we were like quite a bit yeah yeah definitely yeah, moments of panic and it was like <laughs> we have to print how many copies ah. <laughs> yeah and it was also it was also clear for us um you know like we we didn't even factor in uh, payment for ourselves. You know, it was just like, how can we pay everything? Like how many issues, um, how many copies can we afford to print? You know, like we really had to look at numbers and see what's doable um, without being too much of a financial burden. And then at the very end, uh, when we realized, okay, we didn't just break even, we even made a tiny profit, um, which we decided to reinvest. You know, we were like, we can actually pay ourselves a humble fee. And that was really nice. Um, but yeah, it came very unexpected. Um, yeah definitely um yeah another topic i'd love to chat about um yeah i'm I'm happy that it's also become like a bit sustainable for for both of you as well because you sincerely deserve it as well um and it's always hard i think maybe being the, the captains of a ship or, or maybe the ones who are heading things up and you kind of are the last to, to eat as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, maybe as a kind of next topic, I was wanting to chat about like um, intersectional and like inclusive washing versus actual change. Because um, I think that's something that I've been seeing a bit of um yeah and i'm curious what your thoughts are on it so many thoughts <laughs> <laughs> but i'm going to prompt i will not mention any names mm. can't mention any names not going to get in any more fights out i'll any i'll beep it out if anything slips out but, um, <laughs> i think yeah there's definitely in my experience at least uh there's a lot of lip service Right. Yeah. So there's, let's call it, um, a currency of wokeness with which people, uh, cloak themselves to do a lot of virtue signaling. Um, and virtue signaling would be great if there was actually something behind it. So in my personal experience, how is this reflected? It's reflected in, you know, being a tokenized hire. Um, it's reflected in, uh communities being spoken about but not by people who are actually from that community right and then when you point out that maybe someone from that community should be uh consulted 
then it's discussion, well, who are they and where are they? And we can't find them. So there's this great statistic from the Neue Deutsche MediaMacherInnen that mm. I think um, only 3% of all uh, editorial boards here in Germany um, have people uh, from migration backgrounds, as they like to say here in Germany. Um, mm. And, you know, I'm going to drill, I would like to drill down on that migration background because someone from France might have a migration background. Um, but if we're talking about 3% migration background, which can include intra-European transfers, what does that mean for people of color? What does that mean for religious yeah. or ethnic minorities? So um, yeah. it's very, very rare here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think it's also, like, it's also a constant fight, you know, because, like, yes, we are publishers and we are media owners, but we also... Um, we are also freelancers and we also rely on um, on working with um on working with like media companies that are like you know run by white people um who might or in most cases don't don't know much about our lived experiences um and yeah like it's it's a constant fight because you don't want to be you don't want to be tokenized you don't want to be taken advantage of you don't want to be pigeonholed at the same time um you need to pay your bills um yeah. and it's um it's a, there's always a risk in pointing out um to, you know like this kind of performative solidarity performative wokeness because yeah like some people or i would say a growing number of people is actually open um to to being criticized if it's constructive of course you know mm-hmm. uh and to being told like look how about doing this? You know, maybe I shouldn't be the person who speaks on this and that experience because it's not mine. How about involving um, another person? And then there, unfortunately, there's also a group of people who get really defensive when you point out um, mistakes or like areas where they can improve on. And that's also why I'm so glad that we've got daddy because mm-hmm. I can only do so much um, working for other people. And then I usually reach a limit and I'm like, okay, if I can't do it here, then we'll just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's like that's a very like luxurious position to be in because I know that a lot of people don't have that option, and that's also why I feel that we have this we have a responsibility um, for people who don't um, who don't have um, their own publication, who don't um, who don't have a platform that they can like utilize for themselves if need be. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're trying to do that too, even though, of course, we can't speak for everyone. Like that would be, that would be very, um, what's the word? That would be audacious um, <laughs> to assume, you know, like, of course, we can't do that. We can just try to do better. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah. And and to include the the mix of voices that you can, I guess, exactly. which, which you have been trying to, which you have been trying to do. Exactly. Um, and, you know, there's always room for improvement. Like mm, we're definitely. totally aware of that. Like as a black owned magazine, um, we are, you know, like we, we also realize that we move in certain circles and um, that we, um, that we need to diversify these circles. Um, and we're, we're really trying hard to do that. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's, you just have to be honest to yourself mm-hmm. as well, you know, because like everyone makes mistakes just because we have a magazine that aims to diversify the media and that aims to be as inclusive and intersectional as possible. That doesn't mean that we're free from making mistakes. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, we make them too, but Mm -hmm. it's okay. You know, then you address them and then you try to do better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Having a a learning mindset and a learning mentality. 
right? Um, yeah, it's probably like one of the best skills I think that people can have. Um, yeah, because of the world. I mean, even if we look at 2014 to now, in in both good and maybe scary ways, it's it feels completely different in many oh, ways. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it feels like but so many good things have happened and also so many terrible things. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how it was. Maybe. Oh yeah, it was um an American TV personality and historian. Um I don't know how, how exactly to to describe him. Joe might be might might know more. His name is Henry Louis Gates and he mm-hmm. has like a lot of um educational shows on PBS. Um and in one of his in one of his series he once said, um there was never there was never a better time to be black in this country and there was never a worse time to be black in this country. And he talked about America. And um I often I often think of, of this quote, you know, because it's like, yeah, and in so many ways, not just in not just in the US, but in so many ways it feels like black people, people of color, like people from marginalized backgrounds, you know, we have a lot more visibility and so many things have changed for the better. But then at the same time it feels so many change so many things have changed for the worse. Um, so it's always this constant, you know, where are we? What do we need to do? We've made so much progress, but then, you know, also not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And seeing like, um, maybe change that goes deeper than just surface level. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe kind of with that, like, uh, going on to a different topic of like being idealistic with things versus making money, which um, yeah, can, can make differences on a more than surface level um, kind of basis of like being able to, to actually fund things and being able to live off of uh, yeah. Things that you care about as well. Um, And maybe in regards specifically to, um experiences you both have had with creative projects um and like with daddy consultancy as well do you want to start joe yeah i think because i've had the the most extreme <laughs> development so yeah so i uh before moving to berlin to be a writer i uh was living in the u.s and uk as a lawyer um specifically a corporate lawyer so my the beginning of my career was spent trying to pay off my loans, to be fair to my younger <laughs> self. Um, but also mainly, you know, working for a job that was not uh, spiritually or emotionally fulfilling me, um, purely for financial gain. And I reached a point where I realized I couldn't do it anymore. There was just, there were hazards to my mental and physical health that I could not overlook. You know, when you're not sleeping for multiple days on end, you're going Gosh. to suffer. When you are stressed out and being expected to manage, you know, more than is humanly possible, you're going to suffer as a result. So I was burnt out, um, to say the least. Um, and then mm-hmm. just moving to Berlin, um, I've really been, I've had to, yeah, I've had to learn what a unit of my time is, right? So mm-hmm. what a unit of my time. So if I spend my time doing this, it means I don't have the time to do that, right? So it's a lot about learning how to balance, about learning how to prioritize. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then uh, at the beginning, you know, I was saying yes to absolutely everything, even when, you know, it was this, this fear that, oh, I'm not going to have enough projects. I'm not going to be able to do enough um, until I get to the point where it's about learning. No, I have to be more selective because if the team or the project isn't right, I'm just walking into another disaster, frankly. So um, that is a, a, it's still, it's learning how to flex that. When notice, you, 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 you smell the sniff test doesn't, doesn't pass me. You're like, oh, no, this is going to work. Um, but, you know, I can look back and now I've, I've reached the point, um, you know, especially where everyone is pretty much at home anyway, where it's like, okay, well, I'm glad I made certain decisions because if I was trapped in the job I hated, that would be even worse <laughs> to deal with during the current crisis. Whereas now, mm-hmm. as bad as everything is in the world, I am privileged to be able to spend my time focusing on things I care about. Um, yeah. All those things don't pay the bills. So, you know, I have to be very upfront with this. Uh, you know, Kimmy and I are not living from daddy. Um, we are using daddy to finance projects we believe about, but we also have our own yeah. other projects we do. So some of those are speaking engagements I get to do or writing I get to do or um, consulting and others are, you know, translation or um, kind of other kinds of uh, more business consulting. So I have a, a, a wide variety of things, um, but I can definitely say from this position now, I'm thankful for the decisions I made over the last, let's say, three to four years to get to this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I agree with um, what Joe said. I'm also really, I'm really happy with the decisions I made, um, even though some of them didn't really make sense like financially you know like I, I walked away from so many um opportunities and projects where you know those projects could have paid my bills easily um but it just didn't feel right and i feel like sometimes idealism um it can is a tricky thing you know sometimes I, I wish i could just do things without um without feeling bad about them or with, without having this guilty conscience, you know, without being like, yeah, this is just not what I stand for. I think life would be, life would be easier sometimes, you know, and I'm not talking about going to extremes, but just, you know, about associating yourself with um, certain, you know, like um, brands or companies. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm really, I'm really happy with all the decisions I made um, and I'm happy with where I am now, even if it means that, like, yes, we've got daddy and it's still very much a passion project. As Joe said, it doesn't help us pay our bills, but it's something that I really enjoy doing. It makes me happy. I think what we're doing is meaningful. Um, and I'm also glad that we don't have any ads popping up on our website because there are, you know, there are so many companies that, um, where it would feel weird to see them advertising on our page, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm glad we don't have that. But yeah, it also means that you have to make some sacrifices, you know. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with that. And it's also, as Joe said, you know, like I, I, I know that this is a very privileged position to be in. And I also know what it's like um, from when I was younger and when I was at the beginning of my writing career. You just, like I said yes to so many things that I wouldn't say yes to now. Um, yeah. Because I was just, you know, I was just very hungry for exposure. And also when I was a student, I had like so many student jobs, you know, like, you definitely won't find them in my CV because like I was, I was not, (laughs) those weren't things that I was like particularly proud to be doing, but you know, they paid the bills. So I can totally understand when people make those decisions, but yeah, yeah, I've been in this industry for so long now and I'm just, 
I'm just very happy with where I am and I'm very happy about everything I said yes to and about everything I said no to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's always a balance, I suppose. Um, um, yeah, I know, Kami, that you have to go in a few minutes, but um, maybe the last question I would like to ask, and, and feel free to pop off whenever I can, but um, yeah, after I was watching the uh, daddy consultancy and like daddy video about like the print magazine and kind of talking about who you folks were recently um yeah and we we chatted about this kind of before we started recording but uh the next video that was recommended to me um through youtube was actually a video um from joe about uh, a racial profiling incident that happened um about a year ago um yeah and i just wanted to kind of open open the floor and see if there was anything that you wanted to chat about with that or like maybe giving a bit of background on what happened there yeah definitely so um the background i guess uh predates uh, me shooting or recording that video um to i guess it was 2018 um it made international news there was a group of black tourists at a KFC at Alexanderplatz here in Berlin, who uh, there was some disagreement with the uh, KFC staff. Um, in any event, KFC staff calls the police. Uh, when the police come, the police don't come to settle the dispute between the customers and the staff. They just order um, this group of tourists out. Now, this is a group of black tourists. It's the summer of 2018. Um, they pull out their phones. They start recording. Um, they record uh, being kicked out of KFC. They record um, having to give over their identification. They record the entire process. They do what many people do in the circumstance. They upload it to their Facebook page. They isn't this crazy. Um, it goes viral, so to speak. It spreads around the world. It's reported in the Washington Post, The Guardian, BBC, German News, um, until the Berlin police threatened to sue them, at which point um oh those people had to delete the video from their page and the moment they deleted it from their page it just went it, it, it's crazy to think about this but you know people i spent hours <laughs> commenting on that video and re- responding to people commenting on my post and then it was all just wiped out once the original video disappeared all those conversations disappeared along with them and so then that began my interest in First of all, what are the police powers uh, that exist in this country that I was not aware of? Um, you know, a lot of people come to Berlin to party. Yeah, come to Berlin to party. No, at any time, the police could demand to search you if you're in certain areas of the city. Um, okay, what are the police powers? How can I fight back about that? What do you mean I can't record the police? I don't like being told what I cannot do. Um, so I did the research to find out what are the circumstances under which you can legally film the police. And so this has been an uh, an interest of mine uh, since 2018. So fortunately, um, you know, and it's this weird thing where I had been writing about it kind of from like a legal perspective or a theoretical perspective. Um, But then, yes, it was a year ago to get more concretely into what happened to me. um, I experienced racial profiling. You know, I'm a black man. Um, I have locked my hair. Uh, so I guess if I'm in the park, in the German imagination, I must be. Now, they wouldn't say a drug dealer. They just said I looked suspicious. And so this is what I titled the video. There was just something something about you look suspicious. 
And um, on the date in question, I was in a Berlin park um, and I was accused of breaking in, which made no sense to me because it was during the day. There were multiple people in the park. The park was open. So mm-hmm. how are you even accusing me of breaking in when this is open to the public? That doesn't <laughs> even make sense. public open right? park. <laughs> exactly. Get your story straight first. Um, and then I've taken to wearing uh, a smartwatch around the city because I never know when I'm going to be subjected to racist abuse. So I've programmed my watch with two tasks. I can start recording, um, recording the, the audio, if not the video, just to have a record because, uh, so my partner is white and I would come back from grocery shopping or being at an official appointment and he wouldn't believe the things people said to me. Like I would tell them, you know, and tell them to him and he would not believe me. So then I started recording to have that proof. All this is to say, I'm being subjected to, uh, I'm being racially profiled. I'm being, I'm not allowed to leave the park. They detain me, which is illegal. Mm-hmm. They detain me. Um, and then they have to go check the video evidence to make sure I haven't broken in. When they come back and they haven't broken in, you know, then I explain to them what they've done. And then they, you know, it's this category. No, no, it's not because you're black. It's because, it's, you know, they, they try to find everything other than to say you're a black person in the park and that's why we talk to you. So to get around it, it's so the, the law around filming the police or anyone else, it's not that you can't film in public. It's that you can't upload or you can't publish those pictures without the person's consent. So my way around this was, okay, well, I knew I had the audio of the event. So then I went back and I shot video just of the park gate, for example, people walking in and out of the mm-hmm. gate. Surprisingly, when I shot video of the gate, I was able to get <laughs> scenes where people are, in fact, breaking it, climbing over the gate to get into the park. Yeah. But because they're that. right, they're left alone. <laughs> you know? So it's this thing where it's like, oh, okay, so when white people do what you accuse me of, you're not there. But when mm-hmm. I'm just casually walking through the park, then I get this response. So... Um, I did this as my kind of way of, uh, you know, reclaiming the situation and also, you know, to one show what happened to me to give the evidence of this is what it sounds like to be accused of this thing. Um, but then also, you know, that empowering thing, this is one way you can fight back. You may not be allowed or feel comfortable recording video, but can you get the audio? If you can get the audio, is there a way you can find to, get it out there. So that was something that happened a year ago. I wish there had yeah. been more of an official response. But again, in the German imagination, racial profiling doesn't happen. And so no one has ever apologized. Yeah, totally. I mean, in the video too, um, closer to the end, when you were speaking with the, I guess the woman who had initially called the the officials, um, she was saying stuff like, oh, just get over it. Like, sorry, this happened to you, but essentially like not my problem. I just like did it. Um, and then you said, hey, but this is my life. Like, um, yeah. And I I definitely, as I said before, like, unfortunately wasn't surprised by this, but it was a pretty disturbing, um, disturbing video and, and disturbing to hear as well uh yeah yeah um how long were you made to sit there for um so i'd have to remember i'd say it was about a 20 to 25 minute encounter at least that's how much i remember correctly how much um i was recording 
Um, and the, the irony is right before I started recording, it's a park I hadn't walked or it's a section of the park I hadn't walked through before. And so yeah. I paused to kind of look around, oh, this is really nice here. I'd like to come back. And in that moment where I'm thinking, oh, this is, oh, I'd like to come back here, I turn around. That's when I was accused by security of breaking in, forced to wait there while he goes off. So oh, to be fair, yeah, let's say it was maybe 20 minutes of being detained while they reviewed the video and come back. And then I gave them a good five or 10 more minutes telling them about themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. once we came back, I didn't run away, um, you know, but I really wanted to say, you know, I knew the entire time I was in the right, and this is why yeah. you're in the wrong. So that kind of conversation, just, they weren't equipped. I mean, they've, they've been poorly trained, right? So yeah, they, they, the, the training they have is Berlin is multi-culti, and mm. um, they don't see race, right? That's what they've been trained to mm. believe and say, where it's like, no, you, you know, that's why the official response I want, the apology I want, the training I want has to happen um, from the people who run the parks, which is the city of Berlin. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And the woman who called and ed- admitted that she made it up, that she didn't, in fact, see you breaking in. She didn't face any sort of Absolutely. repercussions for lying of course or anything. Not. Of course not. And this yeah. is, uh, no, or at least let's say none that I'm aware of. Um, and, okay. you know, I followed up, I sent, I wrote, every elected uh, representative I could for this area. Mm. Um, no one has ever told me what happened in that case. But also, you know, I'm sure it's not the first time and I'm sure it happened um, more. It's just, are people reporting it and do they feel safe enough to report it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and do they know how to? Right. Even, right. Um, because, yeah, it is complicated, the like German bureaucracy in general and navigating these sites and especially if your German isn't um mm-hmm. I guess to the level that that yours is of being like fluent um some of the bureaucratic language can be a bit tricky yeah, yeah. um cool and yeah then as a as changes I guess in in terms of like what changes you'd like to see um more training, um, more education, I guess, on how to to aid people to to report these things um, when they do happen. Uh, anything else? Yes, I think um, I'm, to the extent I am still a little bit maybe trying to persuade, I'm trying to persuade the people who agree with me to be more active allies, not just bystanders. Mm. So um, it wasn't really audible on the video um, when I, edited together but there was one person who um noticed what was happening and also called them out on it so you know i think mm-hmm. when these things happen people like to look away and not get involved but we need more active mm-hmm. bystanders to step in and offer their support um to say no this looks wrong i'm also why are you not controlling me the way you're controlling him um because mm-hmm. it's a numbers thing and the reality of being a, a visible minority um in this country is that you know it's it's very scary being there uh, accosted yeah. and detained on my own and so that's why whenever i can get support uh from you know white bystanders that saves lives um you know i feel safe enough talking back to authority um but it's often easier to talk back to authority when i know i have someone there bearing witness mm-hmm. in case something happens to me so um you know if it's 
if, if, if it's taking, yeah, if it's taking too long for authorities to do what they need to do, it's that much more important for the rest of us to yeah. learn our rights, exercise our rights, and be there for others when we see rights are being violated. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, cool. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm sorry that happened to you. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I'll let you both go because we've been, we've been on for a bit of time now and I know you're both busy and have lots of lots of stuff to do other than this um but i wanted to thank you both for yeah being on my coming on and and sharing what you do sharing um you know what your intentions were and how you've been working to make them come to pass and and come true and also your hopes for the future um yeah and thank you for putting up with uh me stumbling around on my first episode no thank um, you so much that was, that's been great thank you it was thank it was such a pleasure <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks so much for having us and i can't wait to hear the first episode and the future yeah. ones <laughs> thank you um have a great rest of your day okay you thank too you. Okay. Bye. Bye.